1 Corinthians. Um, we're in chapter 5, and the title of, of our series is Grow Up. And um, we've consolidated um, the book, percolated, bored it down to, to that phrase, um, because we feel like that's a big part of what the apostles trying to communicate, that God is trying to communicate through this particular book, his desire for his children to mature. Amen. And so we're in chapter 5, and today's message um, is titled, Power to Charge or Change. Power to Charge or Change. Um, I'm going to read the text in a moment, Um, but I suppose the big question that I I, want to pose at the outset is, um, and, and, and this is where I feel like this is going, Um, How do we help each other to change? How do we help one another to change? And that question, it it suggests that not only do those who I'm in contact with, and I'm saying potentially need changing, but it also argues that me, myself, need to change. How do we help one another through that process as we try to encourage one another to grow and to develop. So 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 to 13. Um, Let's just read the text and then um, try to jump in by God's grace. I'll pray and then we'll we'll jump in. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not, Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge. Verse 13, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Father, I pray that you'd really help us with um, what is a very striking, sobering, serious portion of text. Um, And we thank you, Lord, because we know that you're a good father. You're a good, good father who you are and we thank you that as a good father you have you have a a purpose you have a desire you have a future a hope for your kids (laughs) and that's an understatement because you're the best father you're the father from whom all fatherhood takes its name so lord would you help us as we walk through this this text today um help us to see how it's your great desire and commitment it's not just wishful thinking on your part your real commitment to help us to change and help us lord i pray also to have a heart to help and support others through that same process of change in jesus name i pray amen amen so here we are in first corinthians 5 and um Having been in 1 Corinthians 4 previously, and previous to that in 1 Corinthians 3, <laughs> having started in chapter 1, we are 
making our way through this New Testament letter, written originally by the Apostle Paul, um, to this church that he started in northern Greece in AD 50. This letter was partly a response to problematic issues that had arisen um, in this church and had, and had caught his attention. Some of which we've looked at over the past few months. Uh, and by the time we got to chapter 2, um, Paul had already diagnosed the fundamental problem. These confused yet arrogant believers, they basically had taken their eyes off Jesus. And they'd moved away from the basic yet very powerful message of the cross. Paul, therefore, refocuses their blurred vision. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He tries to refocus their vision on the cross. Now this was fundamentally the antidote to their spiritual blindness in chapter 2, to their issues of division in chapter 3, their pride in chapter 4, and sexual immorality that we see here in chapter 5, as we began to see last week. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, Pastor Bertram shared that with us. He said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, that is unbelievers, those outside the church. For a man has his father's wife. Now that's serious, but verse 2 is even more serious. And you're arrogant about it. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. It's like he says, you boast about your great teachers. I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. You brag about your worldly wisdom in chapter 2. You brag about your spiritual attainments, we'll see a little later in this book, your spiritual gifts, your prophetic ministry, the fact that you speak in tongues. And it's as if you've graduated and you've got a first-class degree in Christianity, but the real truth is you really don't know your ABCs. And these Corinthian Christians, they were very spiritual, quote-unquote, but they were far from godly. They were very spiritual, quote-unquote, but they were immature. They were far from grown. Earlier in this book, um, the sins of these Corinthians were more philosophical, very intellectual, you know what I'm saying? Very, very cerebral types of sins. I think, I think someone once wrote a book called um, um, Respectable Sins. Amen. Thank you, brother. You know what I mean? Those sins that you kind of can get a, away with, um, quote unquote. But here in chapter 5, the, the sins, and, or actually chapter 5 through to chapter 7, the sins are more physiological. They're sins, if you like, of the common and garden variety. You know what I'm saying? If you like, shocking caveman kinds of sins. And, and when the sin of the church shocks the world, then you know that we have a problem. Jesus said of the church, remember, he says, you're in the world, but you're not supposed to be of it, right? John 17. But this church here in Corinth is, is in the world and is of it. Furthermore, it's, it's, it's worse than it. 
It's worse than the world. Practicing things that cause the world a sharp intake of breath. Entrenched behavior that has become an embarrassing, identifying hallmark of this church. Behavior that isn't even tolerated by unbelievers. And, and Paul is not happy, and that's because Jesus isn't happy. And as a result, there's a powerful charge being brought against them. Verse 3 through 5 says, For though I'm absent, says Paul in body, I'm present in spirit, and, it's, and, if pre and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, notice, with the power of our Lord Jesus. Remember, we're talking about the power to charge and also the power to change. When you're present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Can you see here that Jesus has the power to charge and a very strong charge it is. But we want to also understand, as we go through this, that Jesus also has the power to change. Thankfully, he doesn't stop at the charge, you know what I'm saying? But he also communicates that this charge, as righteous as it is, and as, as serious and as sobering as it is, if the response is right, it can bring about a wonderful transformation. A wonderful change. There's power to charge, but there's also power to change. And even though, you know what I'm saying, this charge is very challenging. Eventually, essentially, the hope is that it will lead to change. Paul alluded to this earlier in chapter 4, when these carnal Corinthian Christians, remember they tried it. And Paul's like, don't try it. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 18 through to 21, he says, Some of you have become arrogant. As if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. He says, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? This is, this is that real wait till your father gets home moment. So I remember my mum repeating a well-known Jamaican saying back in the day. <laughs> she used to say, <laughs> I hear Sister Judith make some quote. I, can't, I never heard exactly what it was, but it sounds like one of them familiar like West Indian phrases. But my mum used to say, you know, when father come, the power come. You know what I mean? And it's like, you can be running around and ramping and all that, blah, blah, blah. But when... When your dad gets in, how many of you know, it's peak. <laughs> and this is one of those moments. And, and literally, it's funny because even the phrase as I was thinking about this, when, when, when daddy come, the power come, right? They, they even use, use the phrase power. I wonder if that phrase actually has its, its implication, has its roots in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This power will charge you if you're wrong. But that same power will change you if you repent. And the question isn't, will we sin, right? It's, it's when we sin, you know what I'm saying? We have already sinned. 
Um, and the question is, will we, will we repent? As your father in the faith, says Paul, I'm going to show you some tough love. You're not, em you're not emulating me, your father, your spiritual father, as good kids should. Unlike Timothy, who's a faithful son, you're not following me, Paul says at the end of chapter 4. You're not following me as I follow Christ, if you like. He's like, I don't know where you picked up these bad habits. And he's like, oh no, yeah, I do. You picked it up from the surrounding culture. And you fast forward 2,000 years to 2020, are things any different today? I mean, but amazingly, the church is still here. But still battling with the same stuff. To say that we live in an over-sexualized society would be an understatement, right? There are things that take place in our modern culture that go way beyond the boundaries of the imagination. And these behaviors are celebrated in print, on TV, I'm saying, in music, in film, in magazines, not to mention social media. Nothing seems to surprise us anymore. And this is, I think, this is a part of Paul's problem. He's like, yo, it's like, it's like nothing no longer has any shock value. You know what I'm saying? No shock factor. And Paul says, what's going on in the world is bad, but what's going on in the church is, seems to be worse. And it's, it's like these things ought not so to be. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be challenged. There needs to be a charge in order that there might be change. If not like leaven or yeast, if you're not careful, it will permeate the whole church and then we're done. Notice again the motivating factor. Pastor Bertram mentioned it last week in verse 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, says Paul. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil. Now this word's going to come up again in our portion at the end. And it's a strong word. You know what I'm saying? He says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of, the leaven of, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul, in the fashion of an Old Testament prophet, says, you know what, we need to go back in history to learn the important lessons from history. You know, and they say that often we don't learn anything from history. The only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn anything from history. How many of you know we need to look at history so that we might <clears throat> learn those lessons? And, and he goes back, doesn't he, in time to the Passover, when God's people, 2,000 years before Jesus, um, originally practiced this ceremony, right, of searching the house for any leaven and, and then getting rid of it completely and utterly. But there was more to this festival. Remember, it signified... God's people leaving Egypt, remember? Leaving Egypt. Coming out of a place that had manipulated and controlled their lives for 400 years. Some of them knew nothing other than Egyptian way of living. But the time had come where God had delivered them from that. And the Passover was the catalyst that caused them to leave that lifestyle behind them forever. 
And they killed a lamb and daubed its blood on the wooden doorposts. And Paul says this is a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed and on that same type of wood like the frames of the door. Remember, they would have put the blood on the sides and on the top of the door and the blood on the top would drip down onto the floor. So in one sense, you had the sign of a cross. See, that was pointing to the future. That was pointing to not that lamb that they just slaughtered and shed its blood. It was pointing to the lamb of God who would eventually shed his blood on the tree, on the cross for our sins. Paul says this is a picture, the Passover of the Lamb of God who now sets us free from the world that we were once enslaved in, that we were once enslaved by. Paul's saying, God has set you free. You're separate. You're distinct from that now, forever. Just like the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Can you see that? The Passover. See? Jesus is the one who now sets us free. So then, so then on that basis, why then would we want to emulate those things for which we now should be ashamed? We've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and, and brought into the kingdom of light, right? The portion of text that comes from that, that quote is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14, and it says, And so from the day we heard, says Paul right into another church in Colossae. He says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as, verse 10, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, you can see that same growth and development. Verse 11, may you be strengthened, notice, with all power. And if you know, we need power to live the Christian life. And although we fall and we fail, God by his grace picks us up. Even though a righteous man or a righteous woman falls seven times, the Lord will raise them up. And he'll give you power to keep going. Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord. And what? And in the power of his might. God graciously provides us with what we need, you know what I'm saying, in order to fulfill that call, in order for us to, be a, a reflection of his character and his nature as his children, right? Verse 11 goes on, sorry, Colossians 1, getting carried away. Um, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He forgives our sins, brings us in, and then begins a work to change and transform us to make us look more like him and less like what we used to. There's this thing um, um, that the, there's a term that theologians use is called continuity and discontinuity. And um, basically, there are things in the Old Testament that continue through into the New Testament, but then there are things in, I should have said it the other way around, there are things in the Old Testament that are discontinued and don't come into the New Testament. And then there are things in the Old Testament that do continue into the New Testament. 
discontinuity and continuity. So um, in terms of discontinuity, you couldn't eat shellfish, you know what I'm saying, at least you know what I'm saying in those early parts of the Pentateuch, God's people couldn't eat pork, you know what I'm saying, you couldn't have a tattoo. You, literally, it says you do not mark your skin for the dead in Leviticus, you know, like have a tattoo that says mum, you know what I'm saying, the date of her, 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 her death. You couldn't do that. Sorry, you couldn't do that then, but there's no stipulation against that now. Now, whether it's a wise thing to do, you know what I'm saying? It's neither here nor there, but you, we can't legislate against someone getting a tattoo. I, I talk about it all the time. Never, don't ever ask me if you should get a tattoo, because I will tell you no. But I, can't, I, won't, I won't point you to the Bible in a second, as the Bible says. You know what I'm saying? Because it's one of them things that are discontinued, just like eating shellfish, just like eating pork. But then there are things that continue from the Old Testament, like stealing. Stealing was wrong in the Old Testament. Guess what? Wrong in the New Testament. It's one of them things that... Worshipping idols, wrong in the Old Testament, still wrong in the New Testament. We can draw for the, we can draw for Bible. You know I'm saying when, when your car becomes more important than anything else. You know I'm saying when, you know I'm saying your house becomes more in, important to you than anything else. When a partner becomes more important to you than anything else, and, become, and, and we begin to idolize them things. We can draw for the text on that. You know I'm saying, <laughs> and, and, and convict one another on that basis charge one another on that basis and adultery wrong in the old testament it's wrong in the new testament fornication wrong in the old testament wrong in the new testament and look here's the text that argues that that fact is true there's no change on adultery and fornication and illicit sin it's still illegal it's still only allowed to have sex with your wife you're still only allowed to have sex with your husband. Anything outside of that heterosexual married relationship is a sin. The spotlight, let me just hasten to add, the spotlight doesn't just fall on homosexual sin, but also on heterosexual sin, like adultery, which is sex with someone else, sex with someone other than your spouse. And in fornication, which is sex with someone that isn't your spouse. At one point, sexual immorality was, you know what I'm saying, our practiced and preferred lifestyle if we got saved later on in life, right? It's how we used to, it's how we used to do, I mean, it's what everybody else does in the surrounding culture, you know what I'm saying? But not anymore, right? It's not our preferred lifestyle. Come on now, you like, you know the you know the kind of drama that it used to get us into. I noticed I put myself in there because I got saved when I was like 21, 22. I know the drama that sexual immorality got me into. You know what I'm saying? And it's crazy, isn't it? Because especially with this particular sin, it looks so sweet and sugary on the surface, and and it, it, you know it reminded me of. A song by Timothy Brindle, you know, who's a rapper from the States, from Philly. I think he's from based in Philly. Timothy Brindle said, sin is like excrement covered in whipped cream. My man, he's done, he's done this song. It's called Let's Kill, Kill. He said, let's kill sin. Let me just 
give you a couple bars from that, 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 that tune. He says, yo, let's, let's begin the discussion because Tim is disgusted. With sin, it's destructive. I'll give the instructions. It's not just a suggestion. Sin is nothing to mess with. Plus, it's deceptive. Sin is like, my man says, sin is like excrement covered in whipped cream. It looks sweet, but we've discovered it's sick scheme. It's lavish passions, has attractions that are, that are acting like they give satisfaction. It seems that it has more to offer than the Lord who brought you, but is sure to drop you. It's disappointing. So we kill sin by the Spirit. Every Christian has this anointing. Only the Spirit can filter this filthiness, filling us with guilt instilled, and it's killing kids. So while America's at war in Iraq, um, Iraq, um, he's American, isn't it? Um, and this was a few years ago. So while America's at war in Iraq, I have to say it like that, so it rhymes. We, we, war, it, we war with our flesh, ready with our swords to attack. Let me do that again. So while America's at war in Iraq, we war with our flesh, ready with our swords to attack. That's the first verse, and then it goes, the chorus comes in. So let's deal with our anger and doubt by getting to the root of it and yanking it out. Be militant and diligent when killing sin by the Spirit. Let's kill sin. Don't provoke your flesh, but choke it to death. The sin in your heart until there's no more breath. Be militant and diligent when killing sin by the Spirit. Let's kill sin. Shout out to Tim Brindle and the whole Lamp Mode squad. What was, the, what was the line? Sin is like, this, this sin thing, it looks sweet and sugary on the surface, but it's like excrement covered in whipped cream. And when it comes specifically to sexual immorality, it's not even a fight thing. Like, my man in the song is talking about let's kill sin, like fight with it. When it comes to sexual immorality, it's not, a, it's not even a fight thing. It's a fleeting I remember, I remember there was another tune. Remember Pastor E back in the day? Temptation, Temptation fleeting, you know. <laughs> Flee. Don't even try fight it. It's, a, it's not a fight thing. It's a fleeting. You don't fight, you flee. You see, you're not strong enough. R run. <laughs> That's all you must do. Like, we see, like, Joseph was a classic example of that in the Old Testament. Um... Joseph was on a fleeting. Do you remember when um, Potiphar's wife wanted him? Wanted him so bad, and she cornered him one day. You know, she threw herself on him, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, yeah, there ain't no fight in that. And you know what? It's, it's Potiphar's wife. Like, Potiphar was like a couple under Pharaoh. So you know that my man is like Cristiano Ronaldo. You look at that brother, and you think, okay, He's, is he married? Yeah, he's married. Okay. I don't even have to ask. I know his wife is going to be a knockout, like, model. You know what I'm saying? So Potiphar's wife, you know that she looked good. And she's throwing herself on Joseph. Joseph knew this, there weren't no talking. I think the only thing Joseph said was, how can I do this great evil? And it's funny, the same word that we see here in our text. He says, how can I do this great evil and not even sin against your husband, you know, which would be right. It would be true. I'm saying, especially how Potiphar gave him free reign in the whole house. I think he said that, didn't he? He's like, you know, the, it's like I, there ain't nothing in the house that I can't, I can't, I can't utilize and use to my own benefit. The, the master's given me everything, but there's one thing I can't touch, and it's you. But he doesn't even say, "I don't want to offend Potiphar." He's like, "How can I do this great evil?" And more importantly, 
sin against God. And my man, no more talking. Not even walking. My man, duck. My man, fleeting. Genesis, you can read that in Genesis 39. Unlike David, now, this is amazing. I don't have time, but David, Solomon, Samson. They're good examples of what happens when you don't flee. I'm saying, and I am not bigging up my chest in any way, shape, or form because I know that I'm not as godly as David, I'm not as wise as Solomon, and I'm not as strong as Samson. You know what I'm saying? And all three of them men fell. Therefore, you know what I'm saying? Challenged by sexual immorality, run, like, run for your life. <laughs> run for your life or your barred wife. Run. For your, run like Forrest Gump. I mean, First Corinthians six, um, which is the chapter we're going to be looking at next, next from next week, um, verse eighteen to twenty says, um, "Flee." You don't say. How should it? You know it is because no one ain't here. I can't get no feedback. Can't get no bounce. You know what I mean? It's like First Corinthians six, verse eighteen. It says, "Fight from." It says, "It says fight sexual immorality." No, don't say that. I hear you correcting me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the correction. He says, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 10, um, a little, again, we'll see this a little bit later. Um, there's a big warning, a, his, a historical warning in there. Um, do you remember the children of Israel? They were in the wilderness. Um, and Moses disappears up the mountain, isn't it? And like, when the cat is away, the mice will play. And they do. <laughs> Full-blown orgy. You know what I'm saying? Mad thing. It says, it says, verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them when they did this, when they started to do the orgy thing, when Moses went, when they, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire, guess what? Evil as they did. This word evil keeps coming up, identifying this type of behavior. Straight, my man, it's not even like, oh, this is ungodly, or this is not good. My man said straight, it's evil. And we need, we need that, those, those um, categories, don't we? To remind us just about the seriousness of it. That we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's Bible talk for they were linking, swapping, swinging. Love Island in the wilderness. Verse 8, it says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of, of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And it's funny, isn't it? Because they're behaving like the serpent, the original serpent, in this fashion. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. Let's, let's just call it what it is, isn't it? They're behaving like, so God sends them serpents to, 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 to bite them, to sting them. And some of them died. It says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble. Wow, I'll be like, hmm? 
wow, grumbling is in there right next to sexual immorality. I'm like, oi, okay. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. I've got to be careful not to try to exegete this because we're going here soon, you know what I'm saying? Therefore, let anyone who thinks, and this is the big point, verse 12, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I mean, if not, that can be any of us. You know what I mean? None of us are strong enough in ourselves. We need that power that comes from God that enables us, that, em- that empowers us, that, you know what I'm saying, to live this way because... In us, in ourselves, we will revert naturally, carnally, back to that animal instinct that we all have. Come on now. Therefore, may God help us to, to take, to, to, rather than think that we're strong and that we can stand, take heed lest we fall. First Thessalonians 4, verse 3 to 7, verse 3 to 8 says, For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is your separateness, your set-apartedness, your distinctness. You know what I'm saying? That you abstain, again, from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You see the distinction? All right, it's fair enough, they don't know God, in it? So, hey. It's so like you and me, before we were Christians, like we never, we never knew God. So that's how we used to find, based on our animal-based instincts. You know what I mean? Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an, av- well, the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Again, he has the power to change, but he also has the power to charge, right? As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but to holiness. Again, that word is the same as sanctification in a sense. It means just distinctness, set-apartedness. You're special, you're different, you're unique and unusual. You know what I'm saying? Let, let's, let there be a contrast. You know what I'm saying? For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And this all goes way back, doesn't it? I mean, this is New Testament. We've pointed about a little bit in the Old Testament, Leviticus. But this goes all the way back to Genesis 2, doesn't it? Adam and Eve. You know what I'm saying? Adam had Eve, who was his wife. And any relationships outside of that, sex is sacred. Now, more about that when we get to chapter 6, and particularly chapter 7. But the incident here is this guy, um, this son... Has, is now involved in a relationship with his stepmother. If it could be, you know what I'm saying, just looking at, you know what I'm saying, what's there in the text on the surface, digging a bit deeper, it, it could be that dad's first wife had died, right? And he remarries, you know what I'm saying, his second wife. And his big son from the first marriage catches feelings for his father's new wife, and vice versa. And then they both indulge in a, in a sexual manner, don't they? And the son with, this, with his stepmom now mashes up, this mashes up the relationship that dad had with the woman, you know what I'm saying? Like, can you imagine the drama? A 
suspect, you know what I'm saying, because of the drama, the son probably moves in with the stepmom, and they're now living together. And now the son is in what seems like an ongoing relationship, an underlying ongoing relationship with a woman that's not his wife. Furthermore, it's his dad's wife. It's messy, right? Leviticus 18 verse 8 says, Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. I mean, if the son went on to have an, an, a son, how does a son relate to his granddad? That, it's a mess. And, and it's crazy because the sin is one thing, right? But the church's toleration of it is another and this is what really winds Paul up. He says, this ain't cool. And this isn't something that... And it's, and it's crazy because this isn't something that these believers didn't know. That they can't plead ignorance. Verse 9, he says, I wrote to you before in my letter previously. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, not only not do it like the sexual immoral thing. Verse 9 continues. He says, and not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, I think there has to be a distinction made between, I think, a one-off slip, and that's why I highlighted and said it twice, an ongoing, you know what I'm saying, medium to long-term sexual relationship. Anyone can slip up in it. And a big part of the thing is, what's your response when you slip up? And then, what is the response of the church to your response, right? I remember my mum telling a story. Um, so my mum grew up in Jamaica, and she, um, yeah, she spent a lot of her, 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 her youth in church. I think she got saved quite young. I think originally she was in a Catholic church, but then um, there was a minister that came from Canada to Jamaica. Um, I think related to Coke Chapel in Kingston, but planted a church in Old Harbour, which is where my mum lived and kind of grew up. She was in Kingston for a little while, and then, and then no, tell a lie. She grew up in Kingston. <laughs> Lord, my mum's probably watching this and thinking, Robbie, <laughs> she's going to tell me off later. But let me get to the point. The point is she was going to this church, yeah, she got saved. She came out of the Catholic church and got saved proper. Yeah, because this, 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 this woman came over as an evangelist to, to Jamaica, and um, oh, it's going to bun me, I can't remember her name. Miss Vin came over from Canada, Canadian missionary, and pretty much started a church and began to... My mum, it was close to my mum's house. My mum got involved. She got saved and started going to this church. And while she's in this church, she, was, um, she had a good friend, and her and two, this good friend and another friend used to sing on the choir together, and they used to serve in the church and serve in the, in the, in the Sunday school right, slash children's ministry. And then my mum's friend... You know what I'm saying? She was a, you know what I'm saying? She was a good girl, um, and she was a virgin. And some man come inveigle her and get mixed up with her. And she had sex one time, and she got pregnant. And although she was repentant, you know what? She was immediately excommunicated from the church. I'm saying, I remember my mom telling me that story a number of times, and I'm like, boy, mom, that's harsh. And I'm saying it was a one-off now, it's not right, you know what I'm saying? It's completely wrong, you know what I'm saying? But she was repentant, 
It's not something that she wanted to do and run up and down and go live that life. That was not her life. She never knew that life. You know what I'm saying? If anything, they should have gone and strung up the brother that done it, really. You know what I'm saying? Um, but my point is, there's a difference between kind of a one-off slip and, and, you know what I'm saying, and how do you respond when you've done that? If you're mash up and like, my gosh, what have I done? You know what I mean? Then, you know what I'm saying, there's grace there, isn't it? And, um, and there might be a mess. But I'm saying it's like, it's completely different to when someone has decided, made a determined decision to pursue what seems like a permanent, illicit sexual relationship. That's another thing, isn't it? That's different. It's a completely different thing. And, 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 the, and on top of that, the person goes off committed to that permanent illicit relationship but they still want to be able to claim Christian status that's a problem verse 10 he says Paul says look I wrote to you in my letter previously right if you like not to associate with sexually immoral people verse 10 not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters like just regular sinners since you'd have you'd, you'd need to go out of the world and we can't go out of the world you know what I'm saying it's like as a Christian you're in the world you're not of it, but you're in it. You have to go to work. You have to go to school. You have to get on the bus at some point when lockdown ends. You have to be, you have to be acquainted and, and mix and speak to and be friends. There's an argument to be friends. One of the, you wanna, it's funny, as I said, I just thought, oh, someone's going to say, you want to be friends with sinners? One of, one, of, one of the classic titles for Jesus, he's, he's the Lamb of God, he's the Rose of Sharon, and I'm saying he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's also the friend of sinners. There's got to be a place where we relate to people that are not Christians, like genuinely. Like yesterday, was it, was it yesterday? It was VE Day. I've got to watch the clock. Um, so our, our, our street has become, it's like, uh, we're getting to know everybody on our street on a next level to the point where everyone's out on Thursday, <laughs> clapping for the NHS, saying, save the NHS, protect lives. Saying. And everyone's getting to know one another. And VE Day, people put their flags out, and I dropped the ball. And it was like, Robert, you've got to put the Jamaican flag out. And I was like, yeah, put out the Jamaican flag for VE Day, you know, car. And I'm not even fronting. My granddad was in the British Army, you know what I'm saying? But I thought, I can't just put out the Jamaican flag. I got to put out the British flag as well, but I never had a British flag. So I ended up never putting no flag out. Never represented. Flopped, man. <sighs> Story of my life, man. Anyway, people are coming out. My neighbours across the road said, why don't you come over? Sit down, da -da, have some food, let's have a drink. All social distancing. And it's coming like, I went out, was it yesterday or the day before? I went to the post office. It was like a regular day. So many cars on the road, people up and down. There's like 50 people in the queue for the post office. It was like a normal regular day. But anyway, come out the house and we went across the road and had, you know, social distance and, but caught up with my neighbours. First time I had, like, pro, it's always high and, but proper conversation. And I mean, I'm like, you know, this is a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to relate to people genuine, not just because, oh, yeah, you know what I'm saying, I've got to share the gospel with you and, you know, uh, you're my tart, you know what I'm saying, I've got to get you my scope and tart, like, it's like, yes, of course we want to share the gospel with people. But, you know what I'm saying, it's like, there ain't nothing wrong with relating to people. And I'm saying, some of your old friends, some of your old friends, you need to holler at them. I try and stay, I, I try and stay in, in touch with, and I'm saying, it's like, to some degree, I try to stay in touch with friends. Like, I'm in a WhatsApp group. Oh, the clock. <sighs> Can't get away from that clock. The light's right in my eye, but beyond it is the clock. 
it's like I try, try and t- stay in touch with, with. There's something about still staying in touch with, with people genuinely so, you know what I'm saying? And I think out of that genuineness, then we can be honest and say, you know, like genuinely, like this is what I think of, this is my perspective on life, you know. So I saw this thing yesterday about funerals, like this, this funeral director in America, they are overwhelmed. They're doing something like 12 funerals a day. And I'm saying, and he said, it's overwhelming. And, and, and we can't, in the midst of having a drink and having a laugh and going to the pub and working with our colleagues, in the midst of all of that, and I'm saying, in the, and I'm saying I say it in the back of our mind, really in the forefront of our thinking is, and I'm saying, I want to share with you, like, what do you, how do you see life? Well, this is, how, okay, cool. Well, well, how do you see life beyond this life? Especially with all these, with, with so many people die, like, you know what I'm saying? But I think people can, people know when you're being genuine, innit? Um, yeah, we can have friendships. That's, that was a long old spiel on one point that probably wasn't necessary. I don't even know where I am now. Um, we've got to be acquainted, you know what I'm saying, and speak to people and be friends with people who are not Christians. Which, you know what I'm saying, I'm not sure that we're very good at. Maybe that's why I made that point, you know what I'm saying. But it's an, another message for another day. Um, and I think, you know, we cannot expect people that are not Christians to act like Christians. You know what I'm saying. And we know some people that used to be in church and not in church. Like, they can't front, you know what I'm saying. And I think we need not to front on them. We don't have to say, well, you're not Christian and you're not in church. And it's evident, isn't it? <laughs> if they were, they'd be here or they'd be somewhere. But we know that they're not. But we can still relate to them. We can still holler them. And I'm saying, it's like a part of our responsibility. It's hard to keep track and taps of everyone. But someone leaves the church, it's, it's like a sheep that's gone, isn't it? Astray. We need to go look. We need to leave the 99 and go look for the one, isn't it? Think about someone that you've not hollered at for years. Holler them. And I'm saying, spend some time with them. You've got a relationship with them, but it's just a lot of water's under the bridge. But I don't know. You hear what I'm saying? See? So Paul is, I think, I think so, so he's, he's not saying don't relate to people that are not Christians. Otherwise, you'd have to come out of the world. It's the madness. You know what I'm saying? Um, but what Paul is saying is if a person claims to be a believer, claims to be a Christian, but then lives a life that contradicts or isn't consistent with that claim, they cannot continue to be accepted in the beloved. We want them in. We want you close. But if they've opted out by their behavior, verse 13, by their evil behavior, verse 13, by their sinful behavior, then we can't support that, innit? They, and notice, they have opted out. I mean, if you know, it's like they've made a choice, you know what I'm saying, to break the rules, if you like. And you can't break the rules of the fraternity and then expect to be a part of the fraternity. That doesn't make no sense. You want to be a part of the thing, but you obviously don't agree with the thing. Then go do your thing, innit? You see, that way, the thing don't get confused. Technically, the exclusion from the church is just consolidating the fact that you've already excluded yourself. 
I like passing. It's like a football team. You've got a football team, right? I'm saying that you're there. And you've got your regular midfielder. He picks up the ball and starts running with it. In the middle of the game. <laughs> and it's not a throw on. My man just picks up the ball in the middle of the park and starts running with the ball. You're like, what are you, like, what are you doing? But he's like, but I want to score a try. Bro, wrong game, fam. Like, okay, let me try to work with you, yeah? Fam, go and go. You want to you wanna handle the ball? Go and go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Man, man catches the ball, you know, in the penalty box. And my man starts running out the penalty box, past the halfway line, you know. <laughs> Dodging man, you know, <laughs> with the ball. What would you say? What would you think of that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what I'm saying? When football starts playing again behind closed doors, a man does that. You'd be like, huh? See, someone's, someone's got to break the bad news to the brother. Fam, if you don't want to play by the rules, you can't be a part of the team, bro. Is that unfair? No one excluded the man, you know. The man excluded himself. You're trying to play... You're not playing by the rules. How you gonna? How you wanna be a part of it? You don't really wanna play this game, fam. You wanna go play? You want rugby is your thing. I know it's a simple example, simple illustration. See, to sit them down and explain that to them is actually the loving thing to do. I mean, if you know that person is in a real dilemma. It's helping someone who is evidently going through a real identity crisis and they just can't see it. It's a tough conversation that has massive implications, especially if someone has been in church for years. But you see how deceptive sin can be. Can hoodwink you, you know, make you start, think things are true and they're not true. I remember, I remember a brother saying to me, but Rob, man, you don't. I'm with this new woman. I'm like, brother. Like literally, I, sat, I literally sat down with, this, with someone that I, I knew very well. And the guy was trying to convince me. He's like, Rob, man, but you don't understand. This woman, this new woman, she understands me. She listens to me. I'm like, like you know when you, you get up and you just walk around and you think, no, I'm, you're, you're actually not. Are you really saying this to me? Man lost his mind. And literally, I had to say, I said, fam, I said, I'm so, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I said, I'm, I'm not going to call you. I, it, he wasn't a part of our church, so don't be thinking, I wonder who that can be. You don't, you don't know who it is. But we were, we were, we were close friends. And, um, and, I said, and, and he said, I can't believe you're doing this to me. And I said, and, but I, I'm telling you, this is where, this is where the, 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 the deception of the sin can get you to, to think. Completely lost the plot. You know what I'm saying? And it, I literally, I, I left and I got in my car and I had tears in my eyes because I just couldn't believe, you know what I'm saying, just how far the brother had gone. It'd be like David, innit? Remember when David sinned? David lost his mind, innit? Man sent a letter to go kill the guy on the... No, no, before, bring the guy home, dr get the guy drunk, send him home so that he can sleep with his wife to cover up the, the pregnancy. 
and that never worked. So he had the guy killed, he had the guy murdered. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is where it, it could take you. And, and thankfully, I don't know how long it was, six months or a year down the road, my friend hollered me and said, I don't know what I was thinking. And he said, what you did was one of the hardest things I've ever experienced, but it was actually the best thing that could have ever happened. Thank you. You know what I mean? And I was like, bro, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, man. You know what I'm saying? And gratefully, you know, the Lord worked miraculously and completely transformed the brother and his marriage. Thankfully, his marriage was saved. You know what I mean? Um, and this is going, I'm going back got to be 20 years ago, you know what I mean? But obviously, how you, you can't forget something like that. Tough conversation, massive implications, especially if someone's been in church for years, but it's necessary. And the thing is, unlike football, this ain't a game. This, and this Paul right in here in chapter 5 is beautiful. This is loving. He's the same guy that writes chapter 13 later, talking about love. No one ain't hating, but there just ain't no debating. Verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of, our, of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, this is the power to charge, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, is it that, is, it, is Paul saying, boy, send this man out so boy, that, that, he, that the devil can just kill him? Um, it might lead to premature death, you know what I'm saying? If the person continues to be rebellious, and I think Samson is a good example of that. You know what I mean? Um, but I think the destruction of the flesh, it, it's probably more to do with, um, I heard someone describe it like this. They said, the flesh is old pre-Christian software. It was, it's the old operating system. You know what I'm saying? It's the way we used to think before, scheming and trying to get our own way and how can I, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like love desires to give at the expense of self in order to benefit others. That's the Christian per per perspective. The old operating system, I nearly said, I said windows. <laughs> the old operating system, what that does is like lust desires to get at the expense of others in order to benefit self. That's the opposite, you know what I'm saying? That's the two operating systems, if you like. And, um, and, and, and we are sinners... This is, this, this is deep. We are sinners not just by choice, but by nature. It's, it's, it's in our DNA, if you like. You know what I'm saying? There's something deep-rooted. Like, again, computer language, I think this is right. Sam will correct me if I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying? We've got deep, corrupted root files that makes sin attractive to us. You know what I'm saying? And we get sucked in. Becoming a Christian means we get a new operating system installed you know what I'm saying? And it conflicts with the old. And that's where you get this whole argument in Galatians, the war between the flesh and the spirit. Those two different operating systems, you know what I'm saying? And, and we can be encouraged if you're a believer. If you're struggling with sin, sometimes that's actually a good indicator that you are a Christian. You know what I'm saying? That you've got the new operating system working against the other one. Be encouraged. You don't have to be that old person that ever come back. Oh, you know you're still the same. You're still the same, brother. Let's go draw for your black book, yeah? But you're feeling lonely. Yeah, what? No, be encouraged. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. If any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Renew your mind with that truth. You know what I'm saying? Get an update. You know what I'm saying? On, the, on your operating system. Get the new operating system functioning in your thinking. You know what I'm saying? And with that renewed mind comes the power, you know what I'm saying, by God's grace to enable us to, to live that new life. You know what I'm saying? But, but if someone is claiming to be a believer but is acting like an unbeliever, Paul says in verse 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister if he or she is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, similar list, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. And again, it throws things in there that are acceptable sins with the things that we would say, oh yeah, that's a serious sin. Oh, getting drunk ain't no bad sin. Well, it's in the list. You know what I mean? Or swindler, you know. We're going to see some more about this come up with Christians taking one another to court in chapter 6. He says, don't even eat with such a one. See? He's now saying, okay, boom. There's a close fellowship that you can't enjoy anymore with that person. You know what I'm saying? Um... And, it's, and it's, 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 it's hard. And I'm saying, as I just illustrated, verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Now, this is his big thing. He comes back to the charge. He wants to see a change, but he's coming back to this charge again. Can you see the swing between the charge and the change? Um, he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? And I'm saying, is, not those, is, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, he says, purge again, notice, the evil person from among you. Oh, you're like, that's such a strong word. But it's a strong word because it's describing strong behavior from God's point of view, isn't it? Verse 12, can you see? I, 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 I skidded over it quickly. Um, can you see that you've got an inside and an outside in verse 12? And 13, it is not those inside the church. Is it not those inside the church you are to judge? God judges those outside. Can you see an, a, a distinction between the two? See, this is why 12 or 13 years ago, <clears throat> we've just been talking about this the other night, we saw the need to establish church membership um, to clearly clarify the in and the out. Because it gets a bit blurred sometimes. I'm saying. I mean, if you're not just attending church, don't mean that you're in, right? Um. And not necessarily attending church momentarily don't mean that you're out. But we need some clarity, in it? So we're actually in the process of um, reviewing our Ecclesia church membership. Um, and a big question that we're asking and trying to answer is, what does meaning membership look like? What does meaningful membership look like? Just to say, okay, how does this thing really work? Lord, help us, and help us to help one another, in it. Updates on that in due season. Notice, as we try to finish, Paul writes this letter to the church, right? And he writes the letter to the church before he comes. He ain't come yet. He's written a letter, and he's trying to, trying to help them, trying to give them some advance warning. He writes it before he comes. So the church in Corinth, they got a chance to address the issues, in it. And from what we read in 2 Corinthians, the sister book to this one, it seems quite evident that they were convicted by the charge and they were powerfully provoked to change. It's beautiful. They actually went a bit too far. They went too hard, it seems. And Paul encourages them, says, take time with the brother. You know what I'm saying? He tells them to extend grace to the repentant brother, you know. It's like, you know what, it's exclusion, but it ain't permanent exclusion, you know. <laughs> 
Huh? All of this is fundamentally redemptive. We're trying to restore a brother out here. You know what I mean? Jesus, and it's funny because Jesus writes this letter, if you like, um, to us even, before he comes. It's a little bit like Revelation 2 and 3 when he writes the letters to the churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, right, the churches in Revelation. He writes them letters, and they're love letters. We have opportunity to address the issues, our issues. You know what I'm saying? We're charged, and God grants us the, the power also to be changed through this process. Starts with initial conviction and then subsequent con confrontation and, if necessary, excommunication. You know what I'm saying? But it's all redemptive. God has the power to charge, but he also has the power to change. It's discipleship. Real solutions for substanti substantial change in our lives. Let me end on Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, um, and I'm sure of this, says Paul, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You know what I'm saying? at the day of Christ Jesus, and this is God working in all of us, helping us, you know what I'm saying, saving us. The Bible says we're saved, we are being saved, and we're yet to be completely saved. God is working in us, isn't he? You know, it's, it's scary to be in the church. Well, actually, let, let, me, let, me, let me end here, and then we can pray. Amen, let's pray. <sighs> the power to charge or change. Father, we, wanna, we, want, we, we wanna embrace both. The first one is like grab, grabbing barbed wire, that charge to be confronted with our sinfulness. And it's scary, Lord, being in the church because we're at risk at being exposed for what we really are. And But this is your sanctifying work in our lives, changing us, transforming us, maturing us, helping us to grow up. Um, but Lord, there's also a, a stark message for those outside the church it's like the church is like noah's ark it's the place of safety and the storm is here those who are outside the church you're not in a place of safety why won't you become a member of the church Why would you want to? Why would you? Why? Why you want? Why you want to break the rules and play for the other team? It's a it's a game that inevitably you will lose. Come join the winning team. It's a hard team to be on because there's confrontation and challenge and rules to abide by and I say abide by not to be saved but when you come in there's a way the game is played. And it makes sense. It makes complete sense. And there's a beauty to it. It's a beautiful game. But it's a serious and a sobering game. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help those of us in the church, Lord, to love those who are outside the church. Because that was who we used to be. Oh, and Lord, I pray you'd encourage those who are outside the church to come inside the church. And embrace, Lord, that charge and admit to their sin. Admit to our sin but then also embrace your power that can transform us, that can change us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.